This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Nomad Futurist. This is your co-host Nabil Mahmood from Honolulu, Hawaii. This is your co-host Philip Koblenz, also in Honolulu, Hawaii. And this is Mary Stanhope. Guess what? In Hawaii. Welcome to Hawaii. Great meeting you, Mary. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. Let's start with your background. Could you tell us how you got into the information technology space and what well, let's, you do? Let's start with, who are you? Where do you work? What do you, what do, you do, Mary? What do I do right yeah. now? What well, is, right what is now, happening this second? Right now, I work at Unitas Global. I head up and focus on all our customers delivering services, supporting services, just keeping those customers happy. I also am founder and run a company that does marketing go-to-market for technology companies called iMarket2. So I'm pretty busy. Sounds well, like it. Sounds, sounds like, like it. The wearer of many hats. There you go. Yeah. So how'd you get into all that? It's a little bit of a long story. Interesting. I'll tell you, I, I studied art in college, art history, in fact. Exactly what I go. would have predicted. Very creative. Art is creative. It's about research and writing and creating things. Meandered my way around Europe and Italy for a couple years. Found my way back into construction where we were wiring buildings and wound up at Teleport Communication Group. Little did I know at that age would be, you know, the, the massive CELEC that it is that's disrupting the telecom industry that we're in today. Uh, so when you got into art, was your goal to eventually get into construction? No. <laughs> no, it was not. <laughs> what was your goal? My, in fact, it was art restoration, which is a very, very narrow field and a little difficult to feed yourself. But I did do art restoration in Italy with a gentleman who restored paintings in the Uffizi Gallery. So it was an amazing part of my life. Really I amazing. How did you find construction along the way? I mean, what was that transition yeah, like? We entered my way to construction. I was in Uffizi restoring the Sistine Chapel, and then I decided I wanted to build houses. And then really in construction, it was shopping malls, if you can imagine. Oh so okay. I, went, I went to Syracuse University. My sister was there after running out of all of my money in Italy, went to live with her on her couch and took a temp job the construction company that was building one of the largest malls in Syracuse. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And how did you come across that? Just online? Oh no, go back up. Well, temp, it was a temp agency. Oh, right. So I started as a temp receptionist and worked yeah. my up to, way up to client services. So I'd help the client build out for all the little mall buildings. And Did you always, uh, did you, I mean, client services suggests, you know, communication, you have to be kind of outgoing and all of those things. Did, was that always something that came easy to you? You know, it's interesting. No. I'm not, I'm very much an introvert. I'm not the Can't you tell party. everyone? <laughs> but I love to talk. Right. <laughs> I only talk to myself. I only talk to myself. I talk to myself. I love being on stage. I love stage. So. But always very curious about technology and helping people figure out how to use technology. And so always passionate about my customers. All right. So let's step it back a little bit. So yeah. it's a mall. It's still not technology per se. Not technology. Have you no. ever been to a Brookstone? That place is the future. <laughs> well, no, I don't shop. Oh, I don't. Oh, yeah. Sharper image for Neville. All night. So at that point, technology was just a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. So and what was it that you were yeah. playing around with that point? Digital art? Yeah. You know, more photography. 
A okay. lot of, lot of photography. I probably had like 10 different lenses, everything from macro to deconstructing anything to reconstructing it to, oh, interesting enough, maybe this was the construction, how buildings were built, you know, how churches were built, the different pieces and what they could support and the different light within them, just all very, very fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. Me. You know, you look at it and you, you construction and then you think architecture and architecture is kind of art, right? I mean, you're drawing the building. You can't do and You can't build anything without some basis for for that building. And, you know, I think you take it back to you don't think of a creative mind as being able to fit into the kind of technology industry when it's so much the opposite of that. I mean, it just you have this wide breadth of, of, of exposure that you have where the creativity really is a superpower. It's an interesting point because anytime you're talking to a customer, you've got to figure out what they have, figure out what they want, figure out how you build something, and then how you deliver it. So now we are from art to buildings and construction. And you have got this passion of technology and in, in some capacity still leveraging art. How did you get from there to where you're at today? So when building these places, I met a real interesting subcontractor who was doing all the electrical and they were just putting in five wiring. Right? five. There future. You the future. <laughs> and I remember, so I was working the construction sites. This is great. And they said, okay, one of the first jobs I had was I was communication central, which meant the walkie talkie. I was, they came in, I'm looking for so-and-so. We pick up the walkie talkie. We've got so-and-so here. We need to get them through because there weren't cell phones. And there was a big cell phone, one, that out of the entire construction crew, 25 people, we signed it in, signed it out, walk around. Ah. And, and you look at where we are today with Apple phones and everything else, and you go back, you know, so it's just this, you know, you've got the one phone, and it's about the size of a suitcase. Right. Uh, heavy, heavier than a suitcase. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think the, uh, the the thing that we always say, like part of our you know foundation initiative is bringing in, you know, new people into our industry, the younger generation into our industry, the future leaders for our industry. And I think part of made us love this industry so much is because we were this, you know, one of the final generations that straddled the before digital times and now. So it was just fascinating to do it. And, you know, it, 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 it's difficult to kind of articulate that story because it's difficult to appreciate how crazy that was when this generation, Julia sitting behind us, I mean, they grew up with a cell phone in their hand, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it, you take for granted the fact that this was not what a phone was, you know, is there's this video that that's, was circulating on the internet of like 15 year olds trying to make a phone call with a rotary phone. And it took them like 20 minutes to do it because they, you know, if you have one wrong number, they don't know you know, how do you delete? How do you, how go, do you back? go back? How do you, you delete? How does this machine work? It's 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 crazy. So how much of that wonder is what kind of drove you, you know, to continue? Yeah, I think that's the, the curiosity and the technology. Just like you said, I can remember when I had my AT&T email account and my MCI email account. There wasn't the email that we have today. Right. Had, and it was only the people on and AT&T. And even that was fascinating. You know, that you could, you could only message other people on AT&T or other people on MCI. Right. And now email um, seems like snail mail. You know, now it's a text message. Now you're trying to figure tweet, out right. how do I get rid of no, these right, 800 right. emails exactly. that I get copied on. Well, yeah, I mean, with all that email diarrhea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's more collaboration tools like Slack and right. Teams. Slack and, and Teams, though, if you notice, you have a Slack and, and a Teams. Right. It's just never, and a text message right, and, and maybe a snap something, and then you've got your phone, too. Yeah. I will tell you, I still am, though, you know, when that all starts happening, 
I'm still that pick up the phone. Right. Talk right. live. Let's yeah, right. let's just let's just talk introvert no more, Mary. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what? Introvert because she's still in her domain. Yeah, her, yeah. I guess, I guess. But she likes to talk. I, say she, she likes I, to I talk. still think that AOL had the best marketing when it came out to emailing. You've got mail. You've got mail. You've got mail. Yeah, You've got mail and emailing all those. How much artwork is there today from all of those discs that got mailed out? Right. I can only imagine that like that AOL IP that you've got mail could probably be repurposed post office at this point since come and pick it up. Exactly. Come deliver you. Come and pick it up. Here's about you may have to drive like an hour. <laughs> so let's go. Let's go back a little bit. So yep. obviously you you went into art before that when you were a little girl. Did you is art was art your passion? Were your were your parents in, into art? Like what what drove the desire to even get into art? That's a great question. I'm gonna. I'm like thinking oh, back please, here. Please. And what uh, can I share? You know what? what can I, I share? Like, share it all, Mary. It all I will tell things. you. I was a little bit of a geek. I was a math kid, right? I was math club. Oh, love math. Love so. right. all. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely have the right left brain. All of that yeah. going on. But a doodler. It always doodling, okay. doing little art, and then yeah, went to art school. Went to art summer school. So yes. So why didn't you pursue math or mathematics? I had a bad teacher. Oh, a bad teacher. Go. Can you name the teacher? Don't name the teacher. No. Right. <laughs> where, did, where did you grow up? I grew up in New Hampshire, Goffstown, New Hampshire. Oh. Hmm. Uh, Is it something gothic? No, it's Goff. John Goff. Goff. Founded oh, by oh, John Goff. John Goff. All right. So, so were, were, were there any aspiration to be a mathematician or be a teacher or? I wanted to be a scientist at one point, okay. chemistry or something like that. And I couldn't even tell you why I didn't wind up doing it. <laughs> I can't tell you why I'm not doing art. I wound up doing construction and telecom. And say, so you got to the Cat 5 cable. Yeah, I built right. I built voicemail. That's kind of you. you so I'm beginning voice to that. You're the voice. Are you the voice? Are you, are the, voice? Are you the, voice, the voice? Are you the voice? I'm for a while. My voice was next to James Earl Jones when he did the the 411. Right. It, it was please hold while we transfer you to the operator, and James Earl Jones would come on and go. I don't even remember what that time. This is Verizon, and we will be helping you find your location or something along this those lines. This is CNN. <laughs> yes, amazing. Press so one. You were almost like. Right. Almost. I was yeah. er, I was early Siri. Yeah. Early Siri. <laughs> yeah. The original Alexa, ladies and gentlemen. It was the voice for Find Me, Follow Me. So it was so. Oh, my God. Thank you for calling whoever. Please hold on the line while we ring that extension. Press one to continue holding. I'm Press two star, to leave a voicemail. I, I'm going to get an autograph. I'm going to get an autograph. Before you leave, I want an autograph. Maybe that's my next chapter. I can start doing voiceovers. So. Well, you sound pretty good. All right. So. Now you're in, in the telephony business. Yes. And I see that you've got this marketing initiative and market engagement. Walk us through that journey. Why leave the technical, tactical element of it, find engagements and not get into marketing and driving the message? Yeah, was there a, a gap? There wasn't really a gap. My marketing has always been product. So product is part of marketing. So the marketing that I do has always been alliances, go-to-market, product launches, positioning partners for product technology partners. A lot of, okay, here's the problem. How do we solve this? Do we build it? Do we partner? Do we bring other people together? Now that we've done that, how do we take it to who's going to use it? What's their pain point? 
Why do they want to use this? Why do they want to change what they're doing? So much of a new product is change. Because you're doing something today, even if there's some painful component to it, getting people to move and evolve is not an easy thing. And and taking a piece of technology and going, this is the coolest thing. Look, it does this here. You want to use it. And people go, you've scared me. It's cool, but I don't want to touch it. (laughs) Walk us through that journey. Do you get at what point in the product messaging and our development involved? Right from the beginning. So talking to customers in the early stage, understanding what they're looking for. So if you take some of the communications or voicemail companies worked for and built, it was what's the problem? Why don't we build this? And then beginning to talk to different groups on how to use it and running those roadmaps in terms of development to improve it. So a lot of forth customer engineers market, customer engineers market, defining, joking, you know, what do you put on button number three? What happens if button number three goes out to a cell phone? How does it come? What if we tie this into someone else's system? What if we tie it into, I'm going to date myself a PBX. How do you open the trunk on that PBX and create a forward to a, and eventually cell phone? And, and that really what's changed it. So building a product, and, and this kind of goes back to construction, creativity, and, and really talking about how you use new technologies. And if you think of time I've been working in technology, like I said, from from bag phone to, to iPhone, there's a lot that's, of change. Bag phone to iPhone. I think we came up with the title of the podcast. It's, 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 it's bag, phone. bag phone to iPhone. So in the product development cycle, I mean, what do you think? You've had, you've had significant experience, right? What do you think companies do wrong? Oh, a lot of times what probably the biggest thing is, is doing what you think someone wants versus asking someone what they want or need or listening to what they say and translating that into what they need. There's a lot of listening and a lot of asking that needs to go on. If you just build something, kind of the build it and they will come. Right. Well, that model is done. You know, a lot of companies have tried doing that and a great example would be comp. You know, they were at the leading edge when it came down to MP3 and music. Mm. You had the likes of BlackBerry that compute and mobility at fingertips, but it was not really an enhanced user experience. That they, that those products were really driven by engineers versus by what the consumer and the user really want. So, yeah, what do they say about assumptions. When you assume what they want, you make a, I'm not going to get into it. Yeah, that one. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's really. I think from my perspective and from I'm I'm learning about you is it's really a tip of what the user wants and or need and, and how do we go about addressing streamlining making ease to adopt technology. It's a massive it change. It is a massive change. And it's interesting you say that because there are people, I mean, but there aren't a lot. It's a very small group who can create the MP3 player, you know, mm-hmm. because that no one asked for that. No one even really knew they wanted it. But I mean, Jobs and Apple is such a huge brand and you get those transformative shifts. Mm-hmm. Your average product person is probably not going to create a transor- transformative shift behind a brand. Sometimes they will, some, but it's that forethinker. And those are some of just the really amazing people that are out there, visionaries that are doing things. It's the next person after that that goes, I'm just going to build this and everyone will want to use it. And right. it's like, I don't understand. MP3 work this way. <laughs> the laser disc. The laser disc. What could possibly go wrong? Could possibly go wrong. 
Yeah. It's a I CD, mean, but like a record. Why would you want to be? Well, I mean, Apple's case, they tried the iPods that was going to compete with the Carfax iPads. Yep. But it didn't because they had such a great market iPad, but no execution because their interface was terrible. Right? Yes. So that's. For those kids out there, for those kids out there, an iPod was like a cell phone without the cell phone part. Yeah. <laughs> How many do you have one of those in your drawer oh, still? Oh, I have dozens. Because it's got all your music on no, it. Not, it's like when my, before my girlfriend became my wife, that was like every year there was a, like a new thing came out, right? So it was like I had the pink iPod and then we had the Nano, which was the small one. Yes, the Nano. so cute. So every do year, that right, you do, I gave it to my daughter and she loves it. She's like, it still turns on. I wouldn't even know what to do with it. It's like impossible to use the interface. You need like a magnifying yeah. glass in order to see it. And her tiny fingers are perfect. She loves it. I'm going to change gears for a second. You from art into construction, which is known to be a difficult field for women in general, into technology, which I can assure you is a difficult <laughs> women. If you go, if you, any data center you go to, you know, they have, they, traditionally they've had women's rooms and traditionally those are the most underutilized rooms in kind of a, a, a data center or any kind of technical environment or frankly, many, many business environments. So what was that transition like? I mean, is it, did you see any of that pushback because, because you were a woman in construction and, and, and then the technology. technology? A woman yeah. in technology, yeah. a woman in telecom. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. I can remember being in some back telecom rooms and, and being like, there's, I don't think women have ever been back here. Right. You know, it's a, it's a great one. I had an amazing parents who said, you can do anything. Right. It doesn't matter what, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, you can do anything you want. And I've taken that to heart right down to everything that I do. There's got to be a way to do it. There's got to be a way to do it better or different. From a, a female standpoint, and interesting enough, have, having chosen almost all careers that are very male dominated, I never paused. I always leaned in. I definitely probably, it wasn't until my last five or 10 years, you know, wore a pair of high heels and put on a bright pink shirt. You know, you become at a certain point, you're like, hey, I'm going to be me. Right, right. I'm not going to wear gonna dressing, the black it, right. pinstripe suit and looking very IBM severe. Right. But I did when I, because I, I looked much younger. So when I was 20, I looked about 18. So I'd walk in, <laughs> they're like, who's she? But I'll tell you one of the most amazing things, and I say this to everyone I mentor, male and female, is when you walked in, I got two minutes every time I walked into a room with telecom, with technology, because they'd be like, who's she? Why is she here? And you have two minutes to do something with, right. which is a huge advantage over many other. Every other piece, it's a fight. You're always trying to get a seat at the table. Right. I've had an amazing set of mentors, both male and female. I've been very lucky to work within companies where I very rarely felt like I was fighting or discriminated or left. And I feel very fortunate because there's a lot of women I work with today that aren't in the same situation. So do you think that's perception or is that reality? Or is it, is it a marketing hype that they're not getting the same opportunity as you? I think it's reality. I think there's a lot of different people and groups that are in that and that are not inclusive, that do look at different people. I mean, when it comes down to it, we're all humans and each person has a different way. And like I said, I've been very fortunate to working with a lot of very strong men and leaders who very highly of women. And, and that's really helped. I've worked in a lot of groups that have other women in our executive team. We talk global. We 
of one, two, three, four, five, six really strong women in vice president of positions that are leaders in what they're doing. So where do you typically see that divide or the gap? I mean, is it a certain vertical, a certain business unit, a certain skill set that think, women are not being welcomed? I think it's people in general. I think it's individuals in those organizations. I do think there are some that's tied to industries and you know, whatever. the whole blow up that happened in the entertainment and media industry was unbelievable to shake the whole industry. And I think there's pockets of that. I have worked. I mean, I haven't never worked. I haven't never experienced it. No one would believe me if I said that. And I've had companies I work for where I was like, oh, this is the first time like I've really felt out of place or not as aligned with my peers. And I'll, I'll tell you, I left the company. I moved on to another company. I don't have to do this. I'm going to go work someplace else. But not everyone is is got that. Goes go back to parents. Goes back parents, right? Exactly. Yeah, it gives you can you do that anything. Right? Yeah, amazing. it does. Yeah. There's an amazing. There is a piece of confidence that's there. But there are it, it, there are incongruities in pay in what you work for. What we do talk a lot at my company about. You know, you work very hard. You have to be results oriented. There's no just you don't show up at a job and just kind of push some paper around. Right. There are eyes watching what you're doing. I'd like to think that's the same for all people coming up. It definitely is one that. There's not a moment where you're like, oh, I think I'll just put my feet back up on this job. Right. You're always working pretty hard. So in, even in the 24th century, we've got the same challenge of 100 years. Yeah. How do we fix it? Humans, humans will be humans. Yeah. So from your perspective, how do we fix it? What do we need to do? I think a lot of it, education, awareness. Uh, I think it's a lot of people who do mentor and think a little you know, about people and how they work. I'll be honest, I've also worked for some women who are just brutal and don't mentor other women. So there are some of that, you know, and that becomes education. One of the most interesting things I'm beginning to see is the workforce in general from the, the middle up is changing. The the stratified, I'll pick on IBM, like this is the boss, this is the VP, these are the people report to the VP, you report up, decisions are here, these come down, is breaking down. And the idea of you know, work hard, do this, leave your life at home, don't let the two mix is breaking down. And it's becoming more about collaboration. People talk about millennials coming in and approaching things differently. And sometimes they call it entitlement. Other times they say, well, we're not going to get to the end result the same way you did. Why would we take that long route and, you know, struggle and be put down and I'm going to share how I'm feeling. I'm going to be open. I want to collaborate. Let's figure out decisions. I think there's a great opportunity if those of us that have been in the industry look at that and think about how do we change how we work? We're all working in different places now. Now's a great opportunity to do things differently. Do you find that, is it, is it the same across the world, like American culture versus the European culture? That's a great question, and I don't know if I have enough experience to know, to answer that. I know that in telecom, it definitely is across the world in terms of where are the young generation coming to telecom? Right. Because you go to these conferences, and there's there's not a lot. And is that because this isn't cool? Is it because I don't want to work this way or be in this structure? I think those are really good questions we need to answer each other. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, for the majority of the people that we have had this conversation with, there's the level of curiosity trying to figure out where, I mean, we know what the problem is, yep. but how do we go about fixing it? Because this is, 
Yeah. Right. This is not a conversation. Speak for yourself, Nabil. Well, I, yeah, I am sexy. <laughs> we are all sexy. We're all sexy. We're all sexy. I mean, <laughs> but there isn't enough of us right. to attract well, all that whole that's, new generation. That, that, that's the problem. <laughs> and going back to that education exposure experiences, I mean, they the, the are not shareable because, you know, a lot, not, there isn't very many of us globally. Hence, parents and grandparents are not having these conversations at the dinner table to go into this industry, they're, they're wanting their kids to be doctors or bankers or attorneys, or worse of being in the data center, right? Yeah. So that, that needs to be bridged. And I mean, what, what, what we're finding out is there's a new way for the younger generation to they, they communicate a different way and, mm -hmm. and, and media has done a phenomenal job and we need to, I mean, eat our own dog food in a lot of ways and, and, and market it to the right audience. There's an opportunity, but in order for you to get the You've got to get basic education in, in, in some capacity and understand what, you know, Phil says this all the time. You're using Snapchat, but you don't know why you're using it. Yeah, and you, you understand yeah. how technology yeah. works, but not why <laughs> technology <laughs> works, right? Yeah. So the, we, we need to address the why. I believe that's the major gap. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. And, and as you think about how do we bring people in, I think we need to think about how we do that differently. It's not, okay, we interview and we hire and we, but right. how do you open that? How do you make it something that people go into? It's interesting. I talked about how I got here and that wasn't a, I, I want to be a telecom or I want to do product and, you know, or run operations for a telecom. That was nowhere in my, <laughs> my focus. So as we think of those winding roads that brought a lot of us to telecom at a, at a disruptive time, how do we, as that continues to grow, get the, collaboration or people coming in at a different level and contributing to what's going on and helping them and be part of decision making mm -hmm. in the change that's but if you look at if you look at how you know we're we're still at such a kind of early stage of our in that you know one of the things we say to to young people is you come into our industry and you can actually see the impact of the work that you have in a way that is really difficult to see in other in industries where you know you have that traditional kind of compartmentalized structure in mm -hmm. what you work and you don't really, you're not able to see the big picture and you're not necessarily able to have something so fulfilling about seeing the fruits of your labor. And, and I think our industry allows for that more than, more than most others. But there's also the element of like what speaks to this generation, things like sustainability speak to this generation really closely. And there are very few areas you can have as big of an impact on sustainability than ours because we use so much power. You know, we do all these things. And actually, as a business, we're structured in such a way where it actually happens to help the bottom line for us to be, you know, more sustainable in how we leverage things and, and, and utilize our, our resources. And, and I, I don't think that's clear. You know, they, the world just knows about us when TikTok isn't available or they can't get to Facebook or, or the AWS GUI, you know, has an amber light on it and then they just go have a cup of coffee. But, you know, we need to you know, really, really do a better job of demystifying who we are. Yeah, the sustainability is one's an interesting one. We had, um, you know, you've got the, the green data center. We're beginning to look at we've got green equipment. You know, what point do you have a green Internet route? I'll pay, you know, you've got the person who's doing the buying now who's a different. It's not a. 60 year old who's done this is how i buy and i look at it this way they We'd go, like to apologize to all the 60 year olds out there i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> sorry if you're thinking about sustainability and green 
But dial in, call into the podcast. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to meet you. But choosing a route because it's a green route. It leverages data centers and interconnects and equipment that were chosen for sustain sustainability. Kind of an interesting thought. Right. Yeah, there, there was actually a quick story. Phil and I, was we spoke at a conference in Austin last year, and we had a bunch of these kids come and join us, whereby we had them sit down with other professionals. I, I mean, we basically talk about we are the only industry that's got support. And we went for a data center tour. And this 10-year-old asks me about the carbon footprint for a Google search. Oh. As someone who is the father of a 10-year-old, I can't imagine my 10-year-old asking that question, but kudos to that 10-year-old. <laughs> but that was a 10-year-old we were going to hide. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. If you, if you, sorry, Ali. If, you, if you're listening, buddy, <laughs> the, the job's still open. But I mean, you know, and, and us being in this industry for two and a half decades or so. Thanks for that. Exactly. We, we still don't process that because we've got our tunnel vision. I mean, we're talking about sustainability, but to, to what you were talking about earlier, it's like, all the pathways. Nobody talks about it. I mean, Google search out of Puerto Vallarta versus the Google search in Honolulu and New York City. It's traveling in different routes. And it's an extremely complex equation to, to solve. But it needs to be looked at and needs to be looked at seriously to figure out what the carbon footprint is. It, it is. It, it leads to lots of different things because it's not if X, then Y. In getting here to the island, I was looking around and I'm like, electric cars here. Interesting. Because in Boston, where I am, there's electric cars everywhere now. And then I started thinking and I'm like, what's more expensive here? Electricity or gas? Right. <laughs> right. So you begin to see the, it's not just about the one piece, it's the whole ecosystem mm -hmm. that pulls in. Going back to that 10 year old's question, there's a lot of math and, and dependability and interrelation that goes into figuring that out. Right. I think that's part of our job to, to address that in some form. Yeah. And to answer your question, electricity is more expensive here than <laughs> that's what That was my next. <laughs> and not only that, it's, it's a total monopolization of the industry. So if Hawaii electric company is listening, allow people to get solar farms and let people put solar on their homes. Absolutely. I was doing my long hike and I was like, making electricity right. here seems like what is that what is that heat ba barreling down on my head if only there was a way to harness that oh well see that's that curiosity going right. right so what's what's next for you i mean i see you're talking about simplification of networks and automation what's the next big thing you as an individual are looking and or are inspired by oh that's a big question what's next for me personally, it's interesting. I've been spending a lot of time recently on the operating side and really thinking about how you help customers really use, consume, but not just fix a problem, but change what they're doing. And I'm going to reuse a word that's gotten used all over the place, but transformation. But really, how do you operate differently? How do you start doing that? And for right now, that's me working with customers and how they're evolving their business. But that same person who's walking around Diamond Head thinking about how they're making electricity is thinking, what are the other pieces that, that what are the other transformative? Is it speaking? Is it education? Is it going in and working on other pieces of the technology with the customer from within these large enterprises? So for me, it's a lot of, I think we're on an amazing 
transition point where demand for new networks, for modern networks, for networks that go all the way down to the person, all the way up to the data and move the data in between are getting ready to change. So those are the questions. So I guess what's next for me is asking a lot of questions and then beginning to solve for that. Well, that's amazing. So that constant education is a part of your life. So knowing what you know today and who you are and where you're at in your career, what would you tell the younger Mary? Oh, what would I tell the younger Mary? Lean in more and faster. More about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm what? That sounds more. like a phrase. What does that mean? Be more Mary, Mary. Be more Mary. I think, and this may tie back to being the fields I chose and who, you know, the number, volume, sometimes being the only woman in a room, is sometimes I would sit and walk and listen and wait a little longer. And I would say, don't wait as long. Jump in. Right. Jump into the conversation. Nothing's going to happen. All going to be okay. <laughs> well, I mean, something is going to happen. Nothing like, bad is going to happen. Right? <laughs> there aren't going to, someone's going to look at you and go, you're, I guess, if you're with a horrible group of people, they may look at you and say, right. you're not saying anything well, that, smart. Well, you're stupid. That's, <laughs> better to know that now. So, you know, you get up, get out of that room because yep. that's not the right room. That's not the right room. There you go. That's not the right Great, room. Knowing, but I think there's a, there's an element sometimes of, you know, should I wait? Should I look to the person who's above me or that I report to, should, what should I say? And I think one, the world is, you know, collapsing down to, yeah, speak up. Yeah, there's that fear factor. We'll have an asking question. They might, might be wrong. Be confident in your vulnerability, right? That's a great, that's a great way to yeah. say it, yeah. yeah. We're good. working on, on that in front of the mirror <laughs> for weeks. Much better than lean in. <laughs> Ah, I, I do, do you do these conversations I never, more often? I have never done this before. This is my first time. I think you've got a career in marketing. Oh, thank God. Thank God. If you're looking for anybody to, to help you with your new... Always uh, looking for people. I'm, I'm around. There's not enough middle-aged, bald white men in this, in this industry. I think the only other part I would say, and this goes out to a lot, is, you know, when you do walk into a room, when you're coming into something, you have an opportunity to say hello. To look to, you know, anytime anyone walks into a room, there's that moment where everyone kind of turns. Right. Take advantage of that moment. Take it, take advantage of that. What, what is it like that? The, the, the record skip, like, yeah. make, make that, make that your moment to shine. Yeah. The elevator pitch. You have that, that moment. Well, this has been amazing. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. This is so fun. I feel like we've gone all around on the conversation and really appreciate <laughs> the, the chat. Thank you, Mary. Well, if it wasn't for the backbones to iPhones, we would not have iPhones. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back, currencies will rebound, businesses will go on, and we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.